Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. I want to speak to you today in this final message of our series in January. This series has been uh, an amazing series, really has been a remarkable series. And uh, we've, we've entitled this series, It's Time to Grow. I would like to speak to you from the topic of growth today. And I want to speak to you on this idea or present to you the idea of how unsafe living for Jesus really is. How unsafe living for Jesus really is. I'm titling this message today, An Unsafe Growth-Oriented Life. Another title might be is Living Unsafe. Another title might be An Unsafe God. Another title might be Living Beyond 9 to 5. Whatever you'd like to call it, I'm calling it Living an Unsafe Growth-Oriented Life. I'm going to talk about living saved. John chapter 20 is where we're going to begin. Now, as we read this and approach this passage together, Jesus, let me give you context, has gone to the cross. He has redeemed the sins of mankind. The Father has vindicated the Son's sacrifice by raising Him from the dead on the third day. He's been buried in that meantime in a wealthy man's tomb named Joseph of Amarathia. He's been in there approximately three days. I do say approximately. It's not exactly, but it's approximately three days. The disciples have now found themselves huddled away in a room. The disciples have now found themselves in fear of the Jews and in fear of their own persecution. And now Jesus has already appeared by the time we read our text to Mary. He appeared to Mary at the tomb. The disciples don't know this. The disciples have no idea that Jesus really has resurrected, but he did indeed appear to Mary. Mary has seen the Lord. Let's start beginning in verse 19. Now on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that's Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked. Everybody say locked. Where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Notice that. The disciples were locked behind closed doors and Jesus came and stood among them. He walked through the locked doors and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, church, we are approaching what I call three appearances that Jesus makes post-resurrection. We could call this the post-resurrection schedule. We're going to look at these three appearances Jesus makes. He He promised 12 young men before he went to the cross. He promised these 12 teenagers that he would rise again on the third day. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, some disciples have gathered and they are clearly afraid. They are clearly scared for their life. They are clearly lost faith. They have clearly followed Jesus for three years, but now have fully believed that Jesus has let them down. They are fully scared, fully intimidated, fully fearful. Now, maybe he meant it metaphorically, some of the disciples say. Maybe he meant it literally, I don't know. And the Bible says that Jesus walks through their locked doors, and naturally he says, all right, all right, disciples, calm down. Peace be with you. Calm down. Pretty classic response for Jesus. Verse 20, the Bible says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Glad is a horrible translation. Glad is lost 
every bit of ump from the New Testament language to the English. It has really lost it all. It's kind of like saying, you know, I got married yesterday. I'm really glad about it. And you're like, oh, dear God, it's not going to go good for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, glad just has lost its umpness through the years. When he says the disciples are glad, they're saying the disciples are ecstatic. The disciples are beyond themselves. The disciples are picking their jaws up off the drawer or, or off the floor. The, the disciples are beyond any real uh, level of excitement that we have felt, they are ecstatic about Jesus walking through their locked door. Verse 21, and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That has to be categorically one of the most unsafe statements Jesus ever made in his entire life. We're going to come back to it. As the Father has sent me, you want to talk about a growth-oriented life, you're talking about a missional life. So I send you in the exact same way the Father sent me. Now, I don't know if we're going to really like that, but that's what Jesus said. And when he had said this, Jesus said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He goes on in verse 23, said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now this, verse 23, go back, is completely misunderstood. Completely misunderstood. Jesus is not saying, you disciples are now the guys that are the forgiving agents of God. And you can now determine who is in and who is out, who's going to make it to heaven, who's not going to make it to heaven. He's saying that I'm sending you as people who are literally going to spread the message of the, of the receiving of the forgiveness of sins that comes through my sacrifice. And he said, if the sin is not forgiven, then what will happen then? In other words, what is more important than sins being forgiven? What is more important in the life of anyone than the sins being forgiven? He said, I'm going to send you as the Father sent me. And the reason the Father sent me was the forgiveness of sins, that mankind and the plight of humanity might be redeemed and man might have relationship with Creator God again, that they might live in harmony and union with their Creator for eternity. So he said, I'm sending you in the same way. And your whole mission, disciples, will be will be forgiveness. Your, your whole mission will be forgiveness. Isn't that ironic? Sometimes we're supposed to be agents of a message of forgiveness, and we can't even forgive people. This is free, by the way. This is not part of my sermon. I'm going to give you a free sermon, all right, for the early gathering. Here we go. I'm going to give you a free sermon on forgiveness for a minute. We are supposed to be the people who carry the agents of forgiveness, and yet how ironic is it that sometimes we can't even forgive our own people? It's a radical thought. Just throwing it out there. Radical, radical thought. We are literally sent with the message of forgiveness. And how ironic is it that you can't forgive a family member when you're supposed to be sent to the world to tell people how you can be freely forgiven? I just want to suggest at the outset of this message this morning, if you're going to tell people that you're a Jesus follower, if you're going to tell people of how he freely forgave you and how he freely forgave anyone else, you, you, you probably need to forgive your dad. You, you might need to forgive your uncle. You probably need to forgive your aunt, your former spouse. Forgiveness is, is who we are. As believers, it defines our existence. Forgiveness defines our life. It's why we've been sent. He goes on in verse 24. And he says something so powerful. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
I will never believe. Big words there, Thomas. The Bible says eight days later, dun, 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 dun. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, everybody say locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Come on, Thomas, come on over here. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, Thomas. Stop being disbelieving, but believe. And the Bible says that Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. You know what that was, right? My Lord and my God was like, uh, he was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry, Lord Jesus. I'm just so sorry. I'm an idiot. You, you understand that's the tenor of what's happening here. He doesn't know what to say. It's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm. And then I like this next part because he talks about us. Jesus said to him, have you believed, Thomas, because you've seen me? Blessed, or the word's literally translated happy. You want happiness? He said, happy are those who have not seen and yet believed. He's talking about you. He's talking about me because we've not put our hands in his side. We've not put our hands in his finger or it's, it's our fingers in his hand, and yet we still have believed. Now leapfrog with me to chapter 21. Skip a few verses. Start with me, verse 1, John chapter 21. The Bible says in verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. Again to the disciples. And by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, son of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of the disciples were together. They're together. Verse 3 continues on, and it's an amazing passage. Verse 3, look what he says. He said, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll, we'll, we'll go with you. Seven of them said, we'll join you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. They didn't know it in post-resurrection form. They didn't know it was Jesus. They thought he was stranger. So Jesus said to them, hey, children, hey, kids, kids, you got any fish? Caught any fish? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. By the way, this has happened before. This has already taken place before. This has happened before. And the Bible says, he said to them, cast the, note, the net and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. They caught so much fish. So the Bible says in verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, which is the guy writing this gospel, how ironic, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Peter is just not the sharpest crayon in the box. Before he jumps into the water, he puts on more clothes. You know what I'm saying? God can use anybody, huh? God can use anybody. I love Peter. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, just about 150 yards off. The Bible says, at this juncture, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, and they laid out on it. Fish were laid on it, and bread, and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish. Come on, guys, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153, unless you don't think God cares about the details of your life. He put in there, there was 153, not 152 fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. The net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast, guys. And now none of the disciples, I love this part. It's my favorite part of the whole passage. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? 
for they knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time. Everybody say third time. This is now the third time that Jesus, this holy hush, they're, they're quiet, the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I want to talk to you again about the idea of safety and how it prevents your growth. Safety and how it prevents your growth. How safety for us as a church will prevent our growth. How many of you, um, you, you had a power wheel growing up? Anybody had a power wheel growing up? Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about, the power wheels? We got two power wheels in my house now. This past Christmas, my parents ended up purchasing a, a sled from Frozen for my five-year-old girl. She now has a, a, a Frozen power wheel, and then we also have a Jeep power wheel. But when I was way back in the day, the year was 1990. 1990, and I remember desiring at four years of age, five years of age actually, I remember desiring uh, going leading up to Christmas that year, I wanted from Santa Claus the best gift one could ever receive. Do you remember what it was? It was called the Bigfoot. Does anybody remember the Bigfoot? The Bigfoot, I kept no joke until I was a senior in high school. That was 13 years, by the way, all right? The Bigfoot was awesome. I mean, honestly, this was the, the gift of a century. I could not find... I asked my mother to go through uh, the files this week at her house to find my picture in the Bigfoot. I couldn't find it, but thank God for Google. Google found my Bigfoot, all right? This is a picture of my Bigfoot, by the way. You can notice the big, bulky tires. Of course, they were plastic, but, you know, nonetheless, they were big and bulky. And, you know, the batteries cost just as much as the whole Bigfoot. So if you ever lose a battery, Dad, I'll just go ahead and tell you. You might as well buy a whole other power wheel. Uh, but, but Bigfoot was an awesome, awesome toy. I mean, I love this. I really did. I never forget, uh, several years had passed, and I'd spent uh, a good considerable amount of time on the Bigfoot, and uh, it was sitting outside one day, and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm hanging out with my cousin today. We got the bright idea that we would take the governors off of the back wheels. Now, you know this is rear-wheel drive, right? So the governors keep it, make it going like, you know, that, that, that noise, and like, you, you try to push it without the, the gas pedal plugged in. It's like, dear God, I'm ready to meet Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's so hard to push that thing. And so uh, we were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the hammer. We're going to knock off the, the governors, and we've got a good idea. We're going to, on this big steep hill that I live on, I was going to set up on the back bar. I wasn't going to get down in. I was going to set up on the back bar, get at the top of my hill, and see if I could just leisurely ride it down my hill, you know, down the asphalt. And so I get to the top of this, and uh, I wish, man, if someone had a video, this would have been America's funniest home videos. I get to the top of the, the, the road, and I sat down on this deal, and little did I know, as I started um, going down the hill, I started picking up pace quite uh, quite rapidly. And uh, I probably got 100 yards down the road, and all of a sudden, the little grooves that are in the tires, uh, I didn't realize that they weren't actually created and manufactured for that high speed. And so, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before, but you know you're about to die, okay? And I'm feeling the whole thing shake now. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, dear God, this whole plastic piece is out from under me anytime. And I'm feeling it shaking. I'm like, just do whatever you can do. Keep your skin on your elbows, your chin. Keep your skin on your knees. Do whatever you can. I do not want to do new skin. In, miss baseball for three weeks, you know what I'm saying? It was in the summer, and so I'm like, you know, just trying to make it. With all of a sudden, the two little girls in our neighborhood who we had great crushes on, I mean, amazing crushes in our neighborhood. My cousin and I were at the top of the hill. They begin to make their way around the bottom of the hill, and they're walking up the hill. And so now I'm like shaking, waving at them, to which the Bigfoot 
leaves me, and I go completely face first, sliding down the rest of the hill. I mean, just sliding. By this point, I stand up. I'm a bloody mess. I've got no, no skin left on my elbows, no skin on my, on my chin, no skin on my knees, my legs. I mean, we're talking about this is a little more than a little nice, you know, cherry from sliding into second base, if you're with me, Taylor. All right, this is like, this is like tear your skin off of your body, all right? And so I remember going a couple weeks later to my mom, and I'm like, Mom, you know, the Bigfoot's broke. And she's like, what do you mean it's broke? I'm like, it's broke. It, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And she's like, what do you mean it doesn't work? And I'm like, well, I, I, where do you drive in? I'm like, I've been driving on the asphalt. And she's like, Craig, you understand that that Bigfoot with the big tires is actually meant to be driven off-road. And the governors are not meant to be taken off of it. You understand it's not been manufactured for that. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's not fun. You know, I'm like, this power wheel was not actually made to do what I was trying to do with the power wheel. It's not what it was made for. It was actually made to go at a certain speed and was made to go off-road. It's made to go off in the dirt and the rock and the grass. I would later go through my grandfather's garden many times. But what's funny about this power wheel is that it's a lesson, right? I mean, it's a really a lesson for me. I, I was convinced the power wheel that I had received for Christmas, that, that I was convinced that, that, that literally the power wheel that almost cost me my life. I'm just kidding, you know. But I was convinced that it was broken. It was beyond repair. You said, Craig, why, why, why did you think it was broken? You know why I thought it was broken? Because I was putting it in the environment that it was not intended to be in. I thought it was made for the beaten path. I thought it was made for the concrete, but it's actually made for the off-road and for a certain speed. And I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but at least in my journey with Jesus, I have at many occasions and junctures thought that my walk with God was somehow broken. I'm thinking it's not working for me. Something's wrong. I'm frustrated. I need a pastor to consult with me. I need somebody to tell me, would you look at my walk with Jesus and tell me what in the world is not working? My relationship with God seems frustrating. It doesn't seem to be working. It seems to be out of sync. Only to discover, church, that your faith and my faith with Jesus Jesus and my walk with Jesus was never meant for the beaten path. It was never meant for the concrete. Following Jesus, following our Savior, we are not called to be trail horses. Anybody ever been on a trail horse? I mean, you've been on a trail horse, right? There are few things in life more exciting, right? than going on a horseback ride where you, a fully grown human adult over 150 pounds, sits on the back of a horse, and a guy grabs the bridle and says, where do you want to go? And he walks you at three miles per hour or wherever you want to go around the beach, right? Very exciting, right? I mean, it's like I imagine, like, this is not what I imagined. Uh, when I saw the Western movies in John Wayne, I thought we were going to, like, take off in the sunset and blast off in the air. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you've ever been on a you, Your Christian journey was not meant to be a trail horse. Your Christian life was not meant to be a horseback ride at three miles an hour. Your Christianity is not supposed to be a guided tour on a trail horse. Let me just go ahead and preach this morning. It wasn't designed for the safe confines of the American dream. Your Christianity and your following Jesus wasn't designed for the safe confines of what the culture around you tells you. Your Christianity wasn't designed just to ensure your 401k and to make sure and ensure that, that your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted financially for your retirement. Listen, 
to me, church. That's actually not the ultimate goal of faith in Jesus and following Jesus. It's not the goal. I wonder sometimes if we think something's wrong when in fact everything in our relationship with God is right. There's nothing wrong with that power wheel that I showed you. It's just made for terrains that I wasn't familiar with. And the moment we take that off-road, the moment I put the governors back on the Bigfoot and I go through the grass, it's amazing, right? How the steering works, it works perfectly. It began to make sense to me. How many know everything begins to make sense in your relationship with God when you put it in the environment that it was supposed to be intended for. And that environment is not Sunday morning church alone. That environment is mission. That environment is growth. That environment is the purpose God puts you on the planet for. Everything in your Christian life then begins to make sense. When we hold in the environment that we're a part of, the environment of holding all of our possessions with an open hand. That environment is growth. You realize, you know what? Life is not just about nine to five. Life is not just about living for the weekend. Life is not just about getting a lake and getting on your boat. All those things are good. I am totally for those things. I'm for those things as long as we understand the goal of following Jesus is not comfortable retirement. The goal to live life on mission following Jesus and sharing his story of forgiveness and grace and love and compassion. That's the goal. It's in these moments that you realize, man, my relationship with God is not actually broken. It was just designed to go off-road. It was designed to live, if I can say it, unsafe. Unsafe. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I My wife and I had a long conversation about this this week. I'll say it again. I just think the common Western civilized definition of safety is an absolute illusion. I think the Western idea of safety is an illusion. Can can you just track with me for a minute? Uh, Several years ago, we were jumping off bridges. Now, that's not quite safe nonetheless, but it was only about 20 yards. And we were jumping off of bridges in my own hometown where we did all the time growing up. Jump off a bridge into the big lake, Chickamauga Lake. And we're there, we're swimming one day. And I never forget one of my friends said to me, because this place and area was known for water moccasins, and I never forget, he looked at me and he said, Craig, he said, I can't imagine living somewhere where there are water moccasins. He said, I would never swim. And I looked at him and it just hit me. I said, stop it. You're being silly. I said, you drive a car every single day. It's just as dangerous. And it was like the light bulb went off. And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Like, we're crazy, aren't we? We're so silly. We really are. Like, oh, I would never go on a lake with alligators. That would be crazy. But some of you, just to get to church today, you went um, 80 or 89. Aren't we funny? Like, you put us in a mass transit acceptable form of risk where one little inch of the wheel goes off and you die and you meet your creator and we're cool with it. It's like, yeah, I'm safe, you know, here in my car. Like, you put us in a mass transit acceptable form of risk and we're cool with it. But this whole thing's called safety. It's an illusion, folks. I'm going to convince you today. I promise you, it's my goal. It's an absolute illusion. Safety is an illusion. We all sit around saying, I'm safe right now. I'm in church. And I'm like, how do you know you're safe right now? How do you know your organs are safe right now? Anybody know that? How do you know their organ? How do you know you're going to keep doing this? <sighs> how do you know you And some of you are like, well, you know, I, it's safety? This, this is it's an illusion, isn't it? 
Which some of you can say, well, this really isn't an assuring message at all. I don't really feel peaceful at all this morning, Pastor Craig. Like, is this the pastor or the youth pastor? Is there a real pastor? You know. Or you can realize that the only true thing in life is trust. Or you can realize today that the only true thing in life is God. That the only true thing in life is faith. Life is fragile. Life is finite. Life is literally like dust in the wind. Safety? No. Jesus did not come to offer the world safety as we define it in our culture. Jesus did not come to sell seatbelts. He didn't come to make sure that your schedule is totally uninterrupted. He didn't come to make sure that your 2018 goes exactly as how you planned it. You know what? Jesus didn't show up on the planet and go, you know what? I'm so happy, Craig, that you have a plan, and I'm going to stick to it. I'm so happy that you got a plan, dwelling place, and you know what? I'm just going to stick to your plan, dwelling place. Jesus didn't come to do that. Oh, oh, look at the time, Jesus says to us. Oh, this is a 30-minute meeting at Panera. I'm sorry, I lasted 32 minutes. God bless you, or I bless you, you know, God. He came to offer security for your soul, but Jesus never promised safety in your schedule, safety in your plans, safety in your lifestyle. Safety by all definitions really is an illusion. But, but, but look how quickly the disciples go back to playing it safe. Give them three days, and what are they doing, right? They are hiding behind locked doors. They're, they're huddled behind locked doors. I mean, Aaron, think about this. For fear, the Bible says, how fickle are we, by the way? How fickle are we? Three days ago or five days ago, the disciples had bravado. They had gusto. They had ego. They are like, come on, Jesus. Let's go. Let's do this thing. And just a week later, they're locked in a room and they're like, you, you think they know us? You think they know us too? You think, that we're, we're, you think they knew that we're associated with him? Do you think he's going to come back? I don't think he's coming back. You think he's coming back? I don't think he's coming back. I don't think he's coming back. You, you think he's coming back? I don't think he's coming back. Oh, I'm scared. I'm scared too. Let's just hold each other and hope for the best. God, can we let's pray? Can we cry? Seven days. That's human nature, isn't it? By the way, don't dismiss yourself from this group number one. You and I are group number one. Human nature, that's your nature, that's my nature. I want the illusion of being saved, so lock the doors and, 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 and get the world on the outside and let us be us foreign no more. By the way, locks are, whoo, don't get me started on locks. Locks are hilarious. I don't have time to preach a whole message on locks. I won't get into the psychology of locks, but isn't it amazing how we believe? You know, it's like, hey, Pastor Craig, I just put a deadbolt in. I'm good. I'm like, Okay, a deadbolt, you know. I'm pretty sure, too. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm a human, too, so I do it, too, at night. I go do it, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can just, uh, you know, and just kill whoever. You know, it's like, but we, we somehow have this safety illusion like a, a deadbolt makes me sleep. I mean, think about this for a minute. You, you got a journey with me. How, what the illusion of safety? Like, oh, I'm good now. I can sleep. It's a deadbolt. It's like uh, this big. You know, it's like a little piece of steel. Like, I mean, come on. I mean, but yet we're like, oh, I feel good now. I'm, I'm safe. Sometimes I'm like, really? Whatever, it helps me sleep better. We as humans, church, we migrate towards safety. And let me tell you something, even when we get born again, we start coming to church and we start migrating towards safety, an ungrowth-oriented life, a safe, confined life. We do it. Oh, we do it. And the only sure thing really is God. So what does Jesus do? 
he walks through the locked doors. He walks through the locked doors. And he says, hey. And they're like, ah! He's like, calm down. Pretty classic response by Jesus, right? Calm down, calm down, calm Shh, calm down, calm down. Calm down, peace be with you. That response, very classic for Jesus. And then he says something amazing. And you, you know why Jesus walked through the wall, right? Do you know why Jesus walked through the wall? It's so they wouldn't stay behind the wall. It's so they would go out and do what he called them to do. And yet, a week later, guess who is back behind locked doors? Us. Jesus can show up day three and physical, visible manifestation lets you put your fingers in his side, lets you put your hand in his side, put your fingers in his own hands and give you seven days and you're back behind the locked doors. You can see Jesus with your own eyes. We as a church can encounter the presence of Almighty God, see God save people, see God baptize people, but give us a week. And there we are back behind Locked doors again. That's who we are. Let me tell you, Jesus will show up again. Here we are now, unsettled, fearful, and before we, we know it, we're, we're saying, I'm going to live it. I'm going to live safe. And notice what he says. He said, as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. Now that has to be one of the most unsettling, unsafe things Jesus ever said to anyone at any time. And then he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. By the way, they weren't receiving the Holy Spirit, church, so they could stay behind locked doors. They were receiving the Holy Spirit because Jesus had a crazy life that he wanted them to live. An unsafe life. So eight days later, Jesus first, you got to see it, he first appears to a group of them behind closed doors. It's a group. This is the first one. A big group of disciples. What was their safety mechanism? Group number one, their safety mechanism was what? Locked doors. Why? Because they were fearful. Group number one, they're behind locked doors. There's a group of them. When they see Jesus, they become ecstatic. They become beside themselves. They go crazy. Eight days later, then all of a sudden, what happens? Jesus comes again. Why? Because one of them wasn't there. He was at Chipotle. His name was Thomas. He was eating a burrito. He missed out. The guys fill him in. They tell him what happens. He says, yeah, right. I don't believe you. This is where Thomas at. The first group wants to live safe because they're afraid. The second one is a person who is hurt. Do you know that? Hurt. The second group is an individual Jesus appears to. It's an individual. It's Thomas. He wasn't there. What is his safety mechanism? His safety mechanism is I'm only going to believe what I see. It's only what I see. You say, Craig, what was he? What was his condition? He was hurt. He was hurt. What do you mean, Craig? Yeah, Thomas was hurt. I mean, literally, beware of someone who is hurt. By the way, isn't it amazing? Thomas is, is hurt. He's so hurt. He says, no, I won't believe it unless I see it. Have you ever been there before? You ever met someone there before? 
Now listen, we can beat them up and say, why are you going to live so miserably? Or what we can do is recognize all that they've been through in life to get them to the point that they are at. That Thomas had put all of his hope and all of his eggs in the basket called Jesus the Messiah. He had put all of his eggs in that basket. He believed in Jesus. He risked everything. And Jesus had let him down. There's been no change in the injustice against the Jews. There's been no change economically. There's been no change culturally. Jesus, uh, the Jews had been so marginalized. The Jews had been so brutalized. There had been so much racism done against them. Thomas, by all accounts, is exasperated. He thought Jesus came to fix things. He thought Jesus came to set his people free. He thought Jesus came to change things. And instead, he died, and he looks at the disciples and says, you say you saw him, and a bunch of ladies say they saw him, but I didn't see him. So you know how I'm going to live the rest of my life? Can I just define a lot of our existence today? Let me just go ahead and give it with the words of Thomas. I'm going to live the rest of my life like this. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to protect my emotions. I'm going to protect myself because I've been hurt one too many times. My heart's been shattered too many times and and, and I'm going to protect myself and the only thing I'm going to believe is I'm going to believe the things when I see it for myself. When she finally does what she said she was going to do, when he finally does what he said he was going to do, but right now I'm not believing it. I'm only going to believe things when I actually see him for myself. This is real. You ever been there? That's real emotions. You get so hurt, you're done. Like I'm, I'm done. I am done, Pastor Craig. I'm done. I'm not doing it again. I'm done. I'm done putting myself out there. The only thing I'll believe is when I see and someone actually follows through and they do what they say they'll do, and that will be my criteria because I need to preserve myself. Self-preservation is the enemy of growth. It's the antithesis to grow. I'm going to, I'm going to preserve myself. This is one of the followers of Jesus, by the way, this Thomas. He's one of the key guys who will extend the message of Jesus to the world. And yet he's dealing with a real human emotion, which is rooted in this idea of safety and hurt and protection. By the way, uh, just a little bonus. Isn't it amazing that hurt people are usually always the isolated people? Who's the only person not there? The hurt person. (laughs) Who's the only person not around? It's the hurt person. Listen up, connect group leaders. That's why it's always hardest to get the hurt people connected to other people. The hurt people are the most isolated people. They're the people that are hurt, and yet the disciple who is hurt is singled out. But what's so amazing about Jesus is what I love about Jesus is, is he appears to a group behind locked doors, but then he appears to a person behind locked doors. I want you to think just for a minute about the schedule Jesus needed to keep. He's been resurrected. How many days does he have before he goes back to the Father and levitates into the clouds? Forty. That's all he's got. I call this the appearance schedule. He needs to make some very important appearances before he levitates into the clouds so that he can send his spirit ten days later so that the message that he just accomplished on the cross would get sent to the nations. He's got a lot. He's got a lot of important, what we call key, what we call essential appearances to make on his tour. But one of his appearances is for a hurt and doubting disciple. And he walks through the locked doors. He walks through the difficulties and he says, Thomas, Can you imagine how awkward this is for Thomas? I mean, you imagine how Thomas must have felt. I mean, Thomas turned around and Jesus said, hey, you said you wouldn't believe in me unless I came and you you touched my hands. And so here I am. He said, come over here. And Thomas is like, "Uh, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm just, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I believe I'm good. He said, no, no, come here, come here, come here. Touch me. Come here, touch me. And Thomas said, no, I think I'm good. You, you good disciples, I think I'm good. You know, it's like, a, uh, I don't know. I think, yeah, I'm good. You're good. And like, nope, nope, just come. And he's like, okay, you want me to tell? Okay, yeah, my, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's you. It's you. Yep, yep, it's you. I mean, how awkward is this? You said you wouldn't believe until you touched. But I love Jesus, don't you? Because he understands our condition, doesn't he? That's us. Lock me up behind closed doors. I don't understand. I'm afraid, Pastor Craig. I'm hurt. I just want to live in the confines of safety. And then the last group of his disciples. This will preach you happy right here. The last group of his disciples third appearance, he reveals himself to fearful disciples. Fearful disciples. These are our discouraged disciples. We got group number one who is a fearful. They use the safety mechanism of locked doors. He goes to the individual who says, I'm only going to believe what I see. I'm going to live by what I see no more. I'm not going to live by faith at all anymore. I'm going to live only by what I see. And then the third group of disciples, he comes to the disciples who are now fishing What's their safety mechanism? I'm going to go back to what is known. Going back to what is known. I'm only going to do what I know. I'm only going to engage in what I know. And why? Because they're so discouraged. They're so discouraged. They're so depleted, so exasperated. He reveals himself to fearful disciples behind locked doors. He reveals himself to a hurt disciple who won't believe anything he doesn't see with his own eyes now. And then he reveals himself to discouraged disciples whose safety mechanism is I'm going back to my old way of living. I'm going back to what I know. Listen, one safety is this. This this is one safety that we have. I'm going to lock myself in. You know one of the ways that we lock ourselves in? Can I say one of the reasons we lock ourselves in is by trusting in our own money? This is one of our huge safety mechanisms in America. We trust in our own money. Did you know where, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you should put your trust in your 401k? What if God told you to give all your money away? You know what's crazy is that that's actually crazy. He said, Craig, are you against retirement? You're hitting retirement. No, I don't know. I don't know why God's doing it, but God is speaking to me about our money right now. He's speaking to me greatly about our money. I guess for the future of our growth, but God has been speaking to me about it. You, you, you say, are you against, no, I'm, a, I'm totally for financial stewardship. I'm totally for financial coaches. I'm totally for retirement. You do what you do, but you know what? I just know what money is and what money isn't. I believe in retirement, but I don't believe in retirement more than I believe in Jesus. More than I believe in the Son of God. So what if God said to you, give all your money away? Ask Robert Morris, who pastors Gateway Church. Ask him what he thinks about that. He's given away all of his money a handful of times, and he's broke. Oh, wait. No, he's not. He's blessed. He's prospering. He's done it over five times, given everything away, all of it away. Living unsafe. What's unsafe, Craig? Wait. People, they hear us in church, and like, you're contemplating giving your money away? Like, yeah. Well, that's just ridiculous. I'm like, is it? Like, it's ridiculous if you're just doing it just to do it, but if it, it's 
God has spoken to you, and God, if you're married, has spoken to your spouse. It's very godly to do it. We live in a world now, though, in America where that's actually crazy. They're like, you did what for the God of heaven and earth? You gave away paper? (laughs) You did what for the creator, God? You gave away a hundred (laughs) dollars. A hundred dollars? We're so fickle, aren't we? We're so funny. We're so funny. Are we crazy or are we just following Jesus? Listen, I'm not locking myself behind anything that guarantees me nothing in regard to my safety. I want to expose myself. I'm just speaking to you, church, to the elements of humanity that are hurting so I can get the message of Jesus out. That's just me. And these last disciples, they're led by Peter. Peter looks at the seven disciples and says, you know what, I'm going back. I'm going back. I'm going back to my old job. I'm going back to what I know. That's what I'm doing. I'm going back. And this is going to be our challenge, by the way, as a church. Listen to me, I'm almost finished. This is going to be our challenge in 2018. This is our growth-oriented challenge. This is our unsafe calling and existence that God's called. Are we going to live in what we know, or are we going to live into the un- or lean into the unknown? Are we going to live as hurtful people who are fearful people about change? Are we going to live in that which we only see with our eyes, or are we going to live in the unseen? Are we going to live in what we know, or are we going to live in the unknown? Well, this is what we know, Pastor Craig. Racially, can I just preach for a minute? Some of you only know one thing. God in 2018 is asking you to know another thing. He's asking you to step across the boundary and say, I'm not Asian. I'm not African American. I want to know. I want to expose myself. What's going on? Some of you culturally, you only know one thing. And so you know what God's saying in 2018? It's time to grow. It's time to grow. It's time to get outside of your box. It's time to get outside of your safe confines and say, you know what? I want to know. I want to expose myself. You know what no does? Financially, some of you only knew one thing. What I know is I'm going to protect this. I'm going to guard this. I'm going to invest this. I'm going to do this? What if God in 2018 for some of you said, I want you to start tithing and giving? Well, I don't know that. I've never done that before, Pastor Craig. I've never done that. I've never been a part of that. Well, listen, listen, but the known will tell you, stick with me. Hey, I'm known. I'm Mr. Known. I'm Mr. Known over here. If you hang out with me, you'll be safe. Just come right over here to the known. Because remember, Peter, you're not some disciple of Jesus. You're an old-fashioned, old-fashioned cussing fisherman. That's who you are. Come on back. Some of you are already one month into 2018 and the known is screaming at you saying, come on back. The known, boy, it'll start preaching. The known, woo, it's loud, preacher. Come on back. And Peter says, you know what, I'm going back. I'm going fishing. And seven guys say, yeah, we're coming too. Some of us are in the same place. We are so afraid of where our country is. We're so afraid of where we are uh, culturally and racially. I struggle with those emotions too. I'm not trying to belittle them, but listen to me. We're afraid of what's happening. It's real. It's a real emotion. So what your mind is telling you right now is to go lock yourself in. Lock yourself behind closed doors. And I'm here to tell you that God is faithful. He will walk through those locked doors and he will call you to live out there. Why? 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 Because we're called to live out there, not huddle in here. We're called to live an 
invitational life. We're called to live a life full of risk for Jesus Christ. In fact, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And if it's not requires or calls forth a certain level of danger, then it's probably not a really exciting change. If it doesn't have some level of great risk in it, I promise you it's probably not some really great level of faith that you think in your mind. And God is, or maybe some of you are hurt. Maybe it's not fearful that you are. Maybe some of you are hurt in your place right now. And, and Jesus let me down. You weren't there. Can I just tell you, I want to be honest with you. I promise you at some point in your journey with Jesus, maybe many times, it will feel like God let you down. It will feel like God turned his back on you. It will feel like he has turned his head the other way. What are you going to do? What are you going to do in those moments? Are you going to resort to, I only will believe what I see. I'm only going to believe in what I see with my eyes. That's no way to live at all, church. I, I, that's no way to live at all in our own existence. This is going to be our challenge. There is an unseen realm that's more, more real than the seen realm. In fact, it's more real than what we see right now. And I want to tell you in this year, your five senses will lie to you. They will lie to you. What I see, what I smell, what I feel, what I hear, it will fail me. It's failed me many times. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. There's an unseen real that is real. Let me tell you, known is overrated, church. I want to live in the unknown. I told the Lord this year, this, this week, I want to raise kids that want to lean into the unknown. I want Knox, Marley, and Harper to lean into the unknown. I want them to come up in this church and say, what has never been done before in church planning globally? What in the world's never taken place? What's never happened in Woodstock? How have needs never been met? I want to lean into the unknown. I want to say I'm going into this year with a growth-oriented, unsafe existence. I refuse to lock myself behind any door for fear of anything that's unknown. I refuse to live by that which I only see. I refuse to only look at what our church is today and think that that's what our church will be 20 years from today. I refuse to live that way. I say, God, God, I'm going to, I'm going to expose myself. What's never been done before? And the Bible says that the guys went back to the known. By the way, when they go back to the known, the same thing unfolds, which is so God. If you didn't learn it the first time, church, you know what God says? I'll do it again. He'll do it again so you learn it. What do you mean, Craig? Yeah, he'll do it again. He did it before. Remember the fish on the side of the boat thing? Remember that? Remember he already did that in the beginning of the Gospels? And they didn't get it. And so you know what he says? I'll do it again. I'll do it again until you get it. God is so faithful. Listen to me. Look at me, church. Some of you today, you need to stand before the Lord in just a few moments and you need to say, you know what, God, I didn't get it the first time. Would you do it again? 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 You want to say, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. <laughs> I'll do it again. I'll show you. Can you show me another miracle? I'll show you another miracle. Can you do it again, God? Can you do it again? Can you do it? Can you do it again? You'll do it again. If I was Jesus, I would say, I did it once. It's enough. But not God goes to the seashore and says, hey kids, focus in. Hey kids, you caught anything? No? Stranger man who looks like a ghost? Keep to your business. Throw your nets on the other side. I've heard that before. says, grab my coat. 
He puts on his coat and he's just overwhelmed with emotion. He starts swimming in and the disciples are like, I'm pretty sure we could just row it in, Peter. You know, and they get there at the same time. You know, Peter's worn out. And they're there at the same time. They, they get up on seashore. And what's Jesus doing? He's playing the role of chef, Adriana. He's playing the role of cook. And he says to the guys, you guys want to eat with me? And they're like, you, you want to eat with us? Jesus reveals himself to failing, not succeeding disciples, which is great news for all of us because most of the times in our life, we catch ourselves not having caught anything as well. Eating was a form of the most intimate relationship in the ancient Near Eastern world. Can I ask you a question? Imagine telling your grandkids one day, imagine Peter sitting down and putting old Johnny in his lap and he looks at his grandson one day and he says, hey, 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 listen. Jesus was only a cook one time in his lifetime. It was for us. And he cooked us food when we were at our lowest. Wow. That's Jesus. And I love this part. Because you look at every instance, they were glad. What was the result of here? Glad beside themselves. What was the result here? My Lord and my God. In other words, I don't know what to say. The next verse. No one dared open their mouth. Do you see the progression? Oh, this is a progression. This is a progression. And they're just sitting there. Good. And no one dared ask him. Because they're like, oh my God, it's Jesus. He's God. He's real. He's big. He's sovereign. He's full of compassion. He's full of love. He keeps coming after us. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. He won't let us stay in the known. He's calling us into the unknown. He wants us to change the world. Oh, dear God, I don't want to live just by what I only see. I want to live by the unseen. Oh, dear God, there's no need to be fearful because our God has conquered death, hell, and the grave. This is the reality of living with Jesus. You want to talk about following Jesus? That's following. So which one are you dealing with today? Which one? Of all three scenes, which do you relate with? Are you part of the people behind the group, the closed doors? Come on, guys. Our country is our country is unsafe. Our country is unsafe. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Get everybody to do good. See, some people listen to this message and they say, you know what? We're at a crossroads for our country. But you know what? I believe we're at a crossroads for this spiritual community. Are we going to live it? safe, locked behind closed doors? Are we going to live a risky life that's full of invitational? You know what I'm going to start doing at our team rallies, our team leader meetings? I'm going to start challenging at our team leader meetings what I call invitational fails. I put it at the bottom of your card, risk. Rescue people, rescue people, invitational fails. And we're going to change it up around here. We're going to embody a lifestyle of invitation. Come with me, join me at church. And if they deny you, and if they blow you off, you know what? When we come to our leader meetings, we're going to share what fail we had, and everybody's going to stand up, we're going to clap our hands and say, you did it! Keep doing it again. You invited? Pick up an invite today on your way out. I'll preach next week a, a message for the singles. You got single people in your life starting off this relationship series. Invite, embody. This week, live risk. Get outside of your doors and invite, engage. Expose yourself to humanity. Expose yourself to the ills of the culture around us, the society around us. Why? This is the story of God, and we're all playing a small part. This is not your story and God playing a small part. We get to play a small part in what God has been doing for eternity.
right here in Woodstock, Georgia. I'm not going to live in fear. I don't want to live hurt. I don't want to live discouraged. I've felt all those emotions, and here's what they tell me to do. Go lock yourself behind closed doors. Live only by what you can see. Go back to what you know and live fearful. Is that going to be our life as a church? Can somebody say no? Is that going to be our life as a church? No. I'm going to live in the unknown. I'm only going to believe what I see. I'm going to get scared. I'm going to lock my doors and highs. Jesus said to the disciples, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Don't think on that too long because it will completely shatter your safe plans. How unsafe was Jesus ascending? His body was unsafe. His emotions were unsafe. His schedule was unsafe. His plans were unsafe. I'll prove it to you. Father, let this cup pass from me. Let's not my will, but your will be done. That's his plans. How unsafe. And he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending. It won't be safe, church. Listen, it won't be safe to reach the city of Woodstock. You understand that, right? It won't be safe. It won't fit our nine to five schedule. It'll come in the mornings, early mornings, late nights. It won't fit. It won't fit. But the voice of humanity is crying out to say, you know what? I pray that people would come with the message of Jesus. Come with the message of Jesus. This sending is not safe. So here's my million dollar question. We're going to baptize some people. Here it is. Are you going to live safe or sent? Because you can't have both. Jesus says, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Get out there among the people and live among the people. Our economy's not safe. Our retirement's not safe. Only God is safe. And my innate desire for safety clouds the reality of what I really need, and that's eternal security. That's my soul being safe. And Jesus invites us into a life that is fundamentally, categorically unsafe. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Church, are we going to play it safe? you're looking for a community that wants to be safe, I can't promise you that, but if you're looking for a community that wants to follow Jesus, I pray to God that you found one here. I pray to God. I want to follow Jesus with all my heart. I just didn't know following Jesus didn't necessarily mean the fulfillment of all my childhood dreams. It meant the fulfillment of all his dreams. Why did Jesus, why did the Father send Jesus to fulfill the Father's dream? Why does Jesus send you you to fulfill Jesus' dream? your eyes and say, Jesus, what's your dream for me? What's your dream? Lord, I pray for us today that we would have generations that will come after us, that will possess all that they possess with an open hand. They live a life of unsafe faith. Lord, I picture in my own mind today, a dream of days where we plant churches around the world that are autonomous from us, that we are able, God, to look at them and give them $100,000 or whatever to plant a church in Paris and Prague or Rio or Sao Paulo, God, Santiago, God. I pray that we would be a church where generations would come behind us who would live in unsafe faith. They would live with passion and purpose your eyes closed, my encouragement to you today, church, is don't let yourself get settled. Don't let your, are you hearing me? Don't let yourself fall for the illusion of safety. 
Don't let yourself get locked down. Don't let yourself get settled. May our days, Lord Jesus, be defined by the sending of Jesus, not the safety of our culture. May our days as a marriage, may my days and my family, may our days as a church would be defined, Lord, by the sending of our Savior, not the safety of our nation. Some of you are in this room, and maybe I don't know who I'm speaking to, but maybe it's a businessman or a business lady where you thought your legacy would be business and your business and the money you make. And I just tell you that your business will not be, your legacy will not be a business. Your legacy will not be money you made. Your legacy will be lives that you've impacted in the place that God has called you. Your legacy will be lives that are transformed by the gospel because you realize Jesus has sent you. He has gifted you. He's anointed you. He's graced you. Lord, I pray for our DP kids that their lives would be defined, God, by the sending of Jesus, not the safety of our culture. They would be sent to do the work that you've called them to do, each of them, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Can we put our hands together and give God praise for his goodness, his love, his grace? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.